0: Term, Of course, he's a great pastor, so <laughs> he comes up with great terms. I said, this really uh, is a good summary word for what I want to preach about in this uh, series. So uh, I, I used his uh, language, guardrails. And uh, I want to show you a bunch of pictures here of uh, roads that don't have guardrails. Now, I, I particularly like the one on the, on the bottom here uh, with this car going here with no guardrail some part of it says to, you, to us, this doesn't feel safe, <laughs> or this doesn't really feel good. Uh, or saying it differently, it's like having guardrails is really a good idea because guardrails keep us sort of on the straight and narrow or uh, prevent us from falling over the cliff. Uh, and you know, a good guardrail doesn't hinder your, your passage forward, it enhances it. Uh, so, uh, as a series, that's what I want to talk about. How do we put uh, guardrails in our lives that uh, help us move forward without hindering us uh, and actually increase our life experience, uh, help us to get to the other side uh, safely, uh, but not only safely, like with more fun and, and more enjoyment and uh, uh, God's plan for, for our lives. Uh, today, I particularly want to talk about protecting your sexual morality. So, if you're here today, uh, which you are because you're here, uh, just know that I don't think it was accidental. I don't know how you ended up here today, uh, who twisted your arm, what sort of, all, what pieces fell in place, but you are here today, and. Uh, I want to talk about sexual morality. So uh, you would think, well, okay, that might not have been the choice of my topic. Uh, Or your friend is saying, if I'd have known that that was a topic, I wouldn't have invited you. But let me just say that maybe the Lord knows that uh, you should be here today, and I think it'll be beneficial for you. I I really do. Let's start with your kids. Uh, How are you Uh, training, raising your kids regarding sexuality? Uh, Where do they get, you know, uh, the information? Uh, Who is it that's influencing them? Uh, And what I will say is, as a church, uh, this is something which your kids will hear a lot about, especially as they move up into the teenage years, uh, which would be a biblical view of sexuality, which is what I want to talk about Uh, today. So for many, you would say, look, this is a big plus. I want my kids to have a viewpoint of morality, which is uh, what the Bible would say on this topic. So uh, I think it's a good reason for people to bring their kids to church. It's a good reason for you as a parent uh, to bring your your kids to church, because you're probably not going to hear this talked about in other places. Uh, I don't know how well you talk about sexual issues at home. Uh, I can guarantee you that the slant that you're getting from school or in the public or uh, elsewhere is not going to be necessary. It probably won't be uh, what I'm going to be presenting today, which I think is God's very best plan uh, and a good plan. I I think God's plan for us with our sexuality is one of freedom, one of joy, Uh, so yeah i i don't know uh, what your background has been uh, regarding sexuality i don't know if you grew up in a christian home where you had uh, parents which were loving and uh, were good role models to you uh, and you said yeah i want to be like my parents i mean that is plan a where you see a role model to you it makes sense you're in a loving family And that's what we try to encourage and talk about at church. How do we create family which is, you know, wholesome? And how do we have kids where they have a lot of freedom, but a lot of joy? And they in turn want to live out their sexuality as they've seen it role modeled through parents. But on the other hand, uh, you might uh, have come through a background or your own experience may have been less than ideal uh, or now that you look back on it, you would say, Jesh, you know, if a certain person had to show up at this time, it would be pretty embarrassing, uh, or it'll be a little awkward. If I saw so-and-so, um, yeah, it, it, this could be really uh, yeah, difficult. Uh, or you'd say, you know, I wish I could erase memories uh, that I've created, and you can't. Uh, so what I am saying is whether you're coming in to church today because you've had an ideal background or a less than ideal background. I am really glad that you're here today and I want to talk about uh, sexuality. Where do we get our uh, ideas about sexuality or how to live it out? I would say we're very influenced by movies and uh, I would say just in what's been in the headlines in the last few weeks you would say this is not a good deal. Uh, you know, there's been a lot of sexual inappropriate action, uh, misuse, abuse, uh, power abuse uh, with sexuality. And yet, we hold up movie stars as our role models again and again. Uh, some or other, being beautiful, being famous uh, is you know, a great uh, attraction. And yet, if that's your sole role model of how to respond uh, sexually, by what you see in a movie, or perhaps by the books you're reading, or by the magazines that you're looking at, uh, you're going to come up with a different viewpoint of what is healthy sexuality. I mean, if, for instance, as a teenager, uh, you are immersed in, say, Playboy, your value would be, look, sex at any time, under any condition, is just really a great thing you may think, well, that's a great idea. Uh, I would say that's not a great idea. I would say there's, there's problems to that. But where do we get our uh, input on sexuality? And are we intentional about it? And who's talking to us about it? Where are we getting it from? You know, worldly advice uh, is very different from uh, our Christian advice. It's what people out you know, that, that aren't connected to the Lord or aren't connected to biblical values I mean, people are sort of making it up as they go along. It's almost like you've got to insert these guardrails in your life, but we're going to put them in as we go. You know, it's far better if you're going down the road and the guardrails are already already in place. When you get to these danger areas in the curve, you want to have the guardrails already there. And you don't want them to be like right on the edge, like, okay, if I just lean on that guardrail, I'm going over. You want it to be sort of like in a little bit where there's a sense of safety when you go through uh, these danger areas in your life and so i want to talk about that today i want to talk about uh, guardrails putting these guardrails in place what would these guardrails be and i'd also say this it's not just for your teenagers it's like whatever stage you are in life what guardrails do you want to put in place to enhance and empower your marriage where you are now what guardrails do you want to put in place if you're a single uh, parent or a single person or a teenager or uh, if you divorced or you're in your 70s? What guardrails do you want to have in place, pre-thought out, already there, that uh, you don't have to make a spur-of-the-moment decision under pressure or in a dangerous position? You've already thought this through. Or let me say it this way, can you allow your kids to go through this church to be raised in this church that when they go to college sexuality is not your big concern yeah hopefully when your kids go to college they sufficiently uh, mature and cemented in their value system that they are able to find peers and friends in college that are like-minded that they can be uh, that can support each other and also that they can see that uh, abstinence is a really viable, possible, plausible, and desirable way of handling their sexuality. So let's uh, look at this a little bit. Let's look at what uh, God is asking us to do. Uh, Let's contrast what we're picking up outside and what we're picking up inside the church. I would say for many people, Uh, this topic or this concept of sexual morality is both the most attractive thing about church and the most repulsive thing about church. I mean it's like one of those lightning-rod issues where for many they were saying "Geez, I really do think that I want my kids to grow up and have some sexual morality And, and church becomes very attractive. For others, they would say, you know, church is so outdated, you know, our sexuality, man, we've got the new thing going, and uh, we know better than what's been the tradition. And it's sort of like you're making it up as you go. Uh, I just say that I'm aware of the fact that this is a, uh, you know, a risky topic, perhaps, but it is relevant to every one of us, and irrespective of our age, we either dealing with um, our ability to control our own sexual desires or sexual issues, or we are teaching them to our kids or our grandkids, uh, but we are all having to deal with how we handle our sexuality. It, we we do. It just doesn't go away. Let me just uh, pray as before I start reading some scripture here. Uh, Lord Jesus, I, I just give you this topic. Uh, I'm, I'm so glad that uh, it's you that invented sex and and uh, lord i just thank you that we should be talking about this at church and uh, i just pray more importantly that your holy spirit uh, residing within us would convict us from within lord that you would help us to establish healthy guardrails and lord live the life that you want us to live which is one of joy and freedom so lord we Lift up this topic to you. I invite your Holy Spirit to be with us, move in us. Empower my preaching, Lord. Help me to be clear. Help me to uh, explain your word well. In your name, Jesus. Amen. If, we, if I take a very quick synopsis of the very first book in the Bible, and in fact the very first chapter in the Bible, uh, it says this, Genesis 1.27 so God created human beings in His own image. He created In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. Verse 28, God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and the animals that scurry along the ground. Then God looked over all he had made, and he said it was very good. The very beginning, God is saying, look, he designed sex. Uh, It's not an accident. Uh, God is saying, not only did he design it, he's like happy that we engage in sexual activity in the appropriate way. Uh, The first right from the get out, God is saying, look, Sex has a purpose. One purpose is procreation. It's, you know, the furthering the species, so to speak, which is not different from the animals. But very quickly, we see God is distinguishing something between us and the rest of creation. Genesis 2, 24, 25, he says this, This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. The two are united into one now the man and his wife were both naked but they felt no shame this concept gets introduced right at the beginning where god is saying look when when humans when people are united something special happens which is different from the animal kingdom god is saying that we as humans have a soul Uh, God is saying that there is something of a higher order that is taking place, which is actually something really beautiful. And we only get the full uh, understanding of this as we move into the New Testament. And when we move into the New Testament, we realize that this idea of bonding, this idea of being connected, has a a spiritual component. Uh, God is saying He is bonding Himself with us. When we ask Jesus Into our lives and we say God I need to receive you God is saying we are bonding with him he's saying I reside within you and I am connecting with you so uh, in 1 Corinthians 6 15 we pick up this bonding and how this bonding takes place in a more spiritual sense Uh, it's it says it this way the Lord cares about our bodies this is 1st Corinthians 6 12 he cares about our bodies It's not like, you know, they're just a body. God is saying your body is like something really special. Uh, Then he says, don't you realize that your bodies are actually parts of Christ? Whoa, this just brings it up a whole nother level. Christ is now saying when we've invited him into our lives, we are becoming united to him uh, and we are connected to him. And then... To further this point, he says, Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you? You do not belong to yourself. Now, there's a novel idea. You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. And, you know, our first sort of guardrail is how do we protect our relationship with Jesus? Uh, Our relationship is related to our sexuality. Uh, these go together. We can't say, "Look, I want a vibrant relationship with Jesus, but my sexuality is you know a whole separate thing. No, these things uh, go together. First Corinthians First Corinthians six, nine. I'm going to read this whole section out of, uh, well, parts of this whole section in First Corinthians six. 1 Corinthians 6 and 1 Corinthians 7 is a section where you really want to uh, look at in detail on your own during the week or whatever. There's just so much language there that you really can't uh, pull it all out in one sermon. Uh, But this is an area where the Lord is saying a lot on a lot of different levels. But uh, I want to just look at what I think uh, I, I want to pull out of this section related to sexuality, our connection with God, God's thoughts on this. Let me just uh, read this from 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9. Don't you realize that those of you who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin, or who worship idols, or who commit adultery, or who are male prostitutes, or practice homosexuality, or are thieves, or greedy people, or drunkards, or are abusive, or cheat people. None of these will inherit the kingdom of God. You know, it's a very interesting list of uh, that the apostle Paul has put together here. But he's saying, listen, there's eternal consequences. There's, there's something where... God is not asking us to act in one way. He is asking us to act in another way. Uh, and when you read this list, two things jump out at you. One is like, whoa, I think we've all messed up here somewhat. You know, greedy? Yeah, I, yeah, I, I think I've been greedy. Cheat people? Are, you know, abusive? I mean, very quickly we realize what I said last week. is like God is asking us to be perfect. And very quickly we realize we ain't perfect. doesn't matter which one of these named sins so to speak we fall short on we are not perfect which means we need God and Jesus says I am perfect and God the father is perfect and the way that you can become perfect is by believing in me Jesus who is perfect and Jesus by forgiving your sins allows you to be perfect and therefore you can be have a relationship with God that is the reason why Jesus died on the cross that is why Jesus loves us but it doesn't mean that we negate what God is saying about how we should be behaving, or uh, what the behavior that God desires for us. Verse 11 is actually very encouraging. It says, some of you were once like that. So no matter what category you fell into, and I would suspect a large number of us in this church would say, yeah, I was like that, and by the grace of God, God transformed me from within, Firstly, by changing my internal desires, particularly sexual-related, uh, and I am no longer like that because of God's transforming power. Something changed within me, and what changed was as we love God, as we experience God's love, God transforms us from within, and it lines up with the way God desires desires us to live. But not only desires us to live; is saying this will be the most exciting, fulfilling, rewarding life that you could ever possibly live and what the enemy does is he says let me tell you a different way of living that's actually going to be way more exciting and then when you try that you realize wait there's a whole bunch of consequences that i wasn't aware of and then that becomes its own set of problems but anyway let me jump jump down to verse 18 it says this run from sexual sin no other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does just pause on that and just think of this for a moment. You know, for many people would say, look, all sin is sin, it's all sin is equal. Well, that's a bit of a loaded statement. You need to just think about that for a moment because based on this verse, it sounds like the apostle Paul is elevating sexual sins as a is highlighting them. And whatever list of sin you look at in the book, whatever Morality issues you look at. Sexual sins always get highlighted highlighted or elevated. So while it's true that no matter what you do, that's inappropriate to God, God is asking us to be perfect. And anything can make us imperfect, therefore we need Jesus. God is saying again and again, sexual issues are a real issue, and they get elevated to the top of the list again and again. And what we tend to do is say, no, no, it's just like, not a big deal. You know, it's sort of like, Cursing occasionally or being greedy. You know, it's not a big deal. God It's a big deal. And what God is saying is run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself for God bought you with a high price. You must honor God with your body. You know, this makes absolutely no sense if you're not a follower of Jesus, which is why for us as believers to tell people that aren't in church, like how they should live sexually, is sort of a bit of a problem. Because really, the wording here is for us as believers. This only makes sense once you have experienced the love of God. Once you have a desire to want to please and live for God. When you've got that in place, then everything else falls in place. But if you don't have that in place, it's just like we're wagging our finger at everybody else and they just get really ticked off. You know, they're just like, are you kidding me? No. Uh, but when, when we are believers, this is extremely good news. I mean, this is freeing. This is... God's saying, Yeah, I have you know, a plan which, which makes a whole lot of sense. But God is also saying, This is a twofold thing. Uh, our sexuality is, has spiritual consequences, and our spiritual, spirituality has eternal consequences, how we live our lives. And God is also saying, uh, I don't want to be crass, but uh, you know, if you want to protect your soul, you're not going to do that with a condom. I mean, it's just like a whole lot bigger issue. And when we try and separate these things, it doesn't work out well. God is is all-inclusive. Our soul, our physical uh, desires, our spiritual desires, our relationship to Him, they're all integrated. And the more integrated we can live, the more wholesome and more exciting our lives become, actually. You know, what is the big sort of idea here that God has? Well, the big idea God has is not really such a big idea at all, except it's an idea which keeps getting pushed back. The big idea is this. God is asking us to control our sexuality where we are totally different from the animal kingdom, and we have the ability to depend on the Holy Spirit to do this, but it is a challenge uh, to control our sexuality where we limit our sexuality to within marriage. And God is saying, before you get married, you stay abstinent. While you're married, you're faithful to your spouse and only have sex with your spouse. And when you get, or if you're unfortunate enough to get divorced or one, your spouse dies and you're a widow, a widower, God is saying, be abstinent. Uh, and he's asking us to live this kind of a lifestyle. And when we do, we enjoy tremendous freedom, tremendous joy, and tremendous uh, uh, privilege uh But the abstinence is the is the tool that God is asking us uh to use uh if we 're not married i mean it 's really not that complicated except we try and make it complicated we We push the limits to you know how far can we get away with it uh, you know we ask the question well, is this particular activity sexual, and you know where do you define where the limit is and you know, yeah, well, that's really not the big idea here. The big idea is, I think we know when we're engaging in sexual activity, we don't really need somebody to put some, like, you know, boundaries on that. But what we do need to do is we internally need to generate our own boundaries. It's not like we need our parents to put the line. We need to put the line on ourselves. And if your kids are going through a youth group here at this church, and if we go away for retreats, what they're going to hear over and over again, uh, and hopefully modeled by the leaders and the pastors, would be exactly this message. Like, you can abstain. You can live a life which is wholesome. You can stay pure. And you will be pleased if you do that, if you wait until marriage. And the, the fun thing for the kids is, they then have peers which are doing the same thing. And they can struggle together. They can verbalize their... You know, what is that they're thinking, and they realize that they're not like some odd person that nobody else is living like this. I mean, truth be told, a lot of teenagers are remaining abstinent and are doing it on their own volition, not because their parents are forcing it on them. Uh, Society is actually putting pressure the other direction. We're saying, yeah, I am having sex just because that sounds cool when they're actually not you know just to fit in sometimes with the crowd uh but for many the desire is not to have sex uh but the pressure is like okay do have sex uh, anyway god has a plan for us in this and i think that god's plan makes sense uh if we just look out uh, outside the broader society it is kind of interesting when we look at sex being having two functions one is procreation having kids and one is having pleasure and i think god's design is it's both but what we often try to do is separate them or should i say the world will try and separate them when saying look Kids are sort of a problem. You know, they take a lot of money, take a lot of time, and uh, if you want to be like, live it up all your life, you just don't have kids. I mean, it's like, it's all about me, it's all about my fun, it's all about. And Europe seems to be doing this in like a big way. In fact, it's kind of interesting the problem that we have in the world at the moment. I mean, way back in the day, the, the, all you heard about was overpopulation, overpopulation, got to curb population. And it seems like the problem is actually in the other direction now. It's like underpopulation, we're running into problems, have kids, uh, because our pension plans aren't working, because we need young people to pay for them. You know, it's very financially greedy. But now all of a sudden the kids like are a necessity because, man, I can't live it up unless somebody's putting money in the system. Uh, and it's kind of interesting if you just look at what's happening On the world stage. Uh, Let me see if I can get this interesting article. This has gone around in a few different countries. Uh, Most recently, do it for Denmark. Big sign, billboards all over the place. Do it for Denmark. We're running short of kids, guys. Do it for Denmark, all right? How did that happen? Well, uh, if you think it's not just uh, Europe, Russia. is offering women who have a second child not only money, but cars, refrigerators, and other prizes. Have another kid, Russians. Okay, how did that happen? Singapore even went so far as to establish a government-run dating service in a bid to increase one of the lowest fertility rates in the developed world. But the leaders in the world are really not setting a great example. Look at this for instance. Germany's Angela Merkel, no kids. Britain's uh, Theresa May, no kids. France's Emmanuel Macron, no kids. Italy's Paolo Gentili, no kids. Uh, Netherlands, Sweden, Luxembourg, no kids. The guy that's the president of the European Union, no kids. But they're all saying, hey, we need to have kids yeah I mean not working I mean there's not a good role model here it's like don't do as I do just do as I say and we know that doesn't work so well it doesn't go down so well so I am saying that uh, God's plan is actually a pretty good plan have kids what a novel idea you know and uh, have sex what a novel idea God invented it it's fun do it you know but do it in marriage Uh, what a great idea Another interesting uh, statistic on marriage is really, uh, again, I think it needs some highlighting because the the current wisdom with marriage would be, look, more than 50% of marriages end in divorce, you know, don't get married. And if you look at Europe, for instance, man, nobody wants to get married because the penalties if you get divorced are just so extreme or so uh, difficult that people say, look, I don't want to get married. We can live together, we can have kids together, but we're not getting married because if we, get, if we break up, it's so painful. And that's sort of percolating a little bit into American society. But I want to say that the, the, the statistics are actually a lot more encouraging than what meets the eye. Uh, firstly, it is true that the rate of people getting married, married is dropping. That's not a good statistic. Less people as a percentage of our American population want to get married, and are getting married. But the encouraging rates are the, is this. For those that do get married, your chance of staying married is greatly increased. Uh, the first uh, statistic is there's a 70% chance, this is across the board, whether you're Christian or not Christian, of remaining married for the first 10 years if it's your first marriage. But if you project it out 20 years, it's still a 55% chance that you're going to stay married. But actually, as a Christian, these statistics go up dramatically in the right direction. For as a Christian, the statistics are more like in the first year of marriage, uh, you are like 85% likely for the first 10 years of marriage if you're a committed Christian. Like means you go to church on a regular basis, you believe in Jesus, you put your sexuality into practice, uh, you are 85% likely to remain married for 10 years. And for 20 years, that only drops down to just under 80%. Here's the shocking uh, statistic that's come out of the people that do this stuff. If you call yourself a Christian, but you don't go to church regularly, and you don't really practice your Christianity, but you know all about Jesus, I'm saved, you know I know Jesus, but I need church. You're statistic is worse than an atheist or a non-believer or agnostic, their their chance of making it in in marriage is higher. The worst statistic of all are those that claim to be Christians but are not committed to to it. They have the worst divorce rate of all. I mean, isn't that interesting? All yakity yak, 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 yeah, I've got a relationship, I don't need church, and I know my own thing, I know everything, I'm just... No, terrible place to be. God desires you to be dependent on Him, dependent on the church, dependent on relationships, and walking it out, not just, you know, blabbermouth. Uh, Walk it out. Do it. Do it for Jesus. Other interesting stats, uh, if you're interested in it, is this. Time spent before getting married, if you spend more than three years getting to know one another, you're 40% less likely to get divorced. The other interesting stat is money does make a difference. If your joint income is $125,000, your chance of getting divorced is dropped by 50%. Interesting enough, and this is across the board. This is not Christian or not Christian. And education makes a difference. If you've got a bachelor's degree or higher, your chance of getting divorced is greatly uh, reduced. I mean, these are just statistics that are out there at the moment as people are looking at the state of marriage. Uh, in America. And I think the upside of that is it's fairly encouraging. If you are a committed follower of Jesus and you are committed to, uh, you know, walking that out in a practical way, your chance of being happily married is really very, very high. Your chance of raising kids that'll be happy in their sexuality and happy in the world is really, really pretty good. It's not a bleak picture. Uh, but what we do have as individuals is an option do we want to uh, allow ourselves to do what christ is saying and be tethered to him uh, to be connected to christ and connected to our spouse or do we just want to live any old way with the you know the current thinking uh, do what the world will do or not and in this area i think there's a big divide between the church and the culture and as a church and as this particular church, I'm saying we're pressing in heavy onto what the Word of God says and a huge dependency on saying if we live this way, it'll be the greatest, most fulfilling, most exciting, most freeing life that we can have. Let me just uh, finish it up this way. Anybody who practices biblical principles, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, will get the benefit. God has just designed us to, you know, it's like an engine that if you use the right oil, whether you believe in oil or not, don't believe in oil, if you use the oil, it just goes a whole lot better than if you don't have oil in the engine, you know. So if you're a Christian or not a Christian, if you follow God's way of living, of doing sexuality, of doing marriage, you don't have to believe in Jesus. You'll still get the benefits. But obviously, if you believe in the Lord and you're following what the Lord says, you also obviously get the benefits. What I am saying is if we just do things God's way, whether we believe it or not, we get the benefits of doing it God's way. I also say this, we all have a stake in this. Whether we a teenager or whether you're a senior citizen or would like to say a sage, you know, like somebody who's now got this wisdom, uh, you have a role to play with the sexuality. You're either influencing the next generation, your kids, your grandkids, uh, we all, we never like at a point where, you know what, this doesn't affect us. Our sexuality, I'm i am past that, I'm done with this. No, we're all involved and we all need to be encouraging, helping, uh, in, you know, when people stray, we need to encourage them to get back to biblical principles. I'll also say, just as a church, the way I work and the way our church works, I am never going to be the police, the church police. I, I'm not like... I have no desire to sort of uh, look at your marriages or look at your sexuality and say, hey, you know, you just don't line up to biblical principles. You know, we need to get together. I need to talk to you. That is not the way things work in this church. I I just got to let you know, you might be very horrified by that fact, but I don't see myself as being the police. I do see the Holy Spirit being the best convictor and convincer of everything, okay? So I'm not going to tell you what to do, but I do expect the Holy Spirit to tell you what to do. And hence my preaching today, I'm not going to be like checking up on like your, you know, sexuality. But I am expecting if you yield to the Spirit of God, you'll do pretty well. The the Holy Spirit has no problem convicting you. Uh, you might battle to hear from the Lord. You will hear clearly from the Lord on this topic. You will just sense that this is wrong or this is right. Uh, you, you, you just don't like need me or some other small group leader to tell you how to do it. Uh, the Holy Spirit is pretty good at it, really is. Also remember that Jesus did live until his 30s as a single person and he abstained the whole time and he was pretty happy. Uh, he really is a good role model Uh, for many that might be saying, you know, abstinence is is a challenge. Yes, it is. Jesus did it and uh, he's a good role model for us. I would like to just end this way. You need to decide what your own guardrails are going to be. You need to decide before you get to the curve in the road, the danger zone, how you're going to treat your sexuality. You need to think about... uh, what are risk areas, what aren't risk areas, and you need to put those boundaries into place. You know, from a practical standpoint, as a pastor, uh, we have put windows in all our children's rooms, in all our offices, and if you're a female and you come and you want to meet with me, invariably you're going to find out that I don't meet with you alone. Uh, I will either want to meet whether my door's open and there 's windows or I want somebody else in the room with me for this reason it 's a guardrail that i 've self imposed on myself i i, I don 't you know I just said this this seems to make good sense because it's easy to be misunderstood or that boundary to be violated. For those of you that are business travelers and you're traveling a lot, you know that this is a challenge when you're overseas, you're on your own. Uh, Church life is particularly challenging when it comes to sexuality because we eat a lot and we go out a lot and we do meals together a lot and we travel to conferences a lot. And there's a chance that we can sort of have inappropriate boundaries and that's why, uh, you know, we can fall prey to the same problems. But if we put guardrails into effect and we say, look, we're not going to travel alone with, you know, someone of the opposite sex. Uh, we're not going to be spending inordinate amount of time together or having meals together. We're going to try and do it more in the open, in public, you know, where things can be seen. Uh, those are what we'd call healthy guardrails. And if you put those guardrails into place, you'll find that you avoid a lot of the problems that you would have otherwise. So I I just want to end this message uh, this way and to say, Jesus planned for our lives. He invented sex. This is his idea. He thinks it's a good idea. He's thinking it's a good idea that we can control how we live. Uh, He's saying, put guardrails in place. And if you got them, you're going to get to the other side uh, with the most amount of joy, with the most amount of satisfaction, uh, this is a tried and proven idea. This isn't something that just got invented, you know, uh, with the sexual revolution. No, this is this is an idea that has sort of won the day for 2,000 plus years, uh, where people have said, "Yeah, one mar-, you know, one spouse, uh, sex within marriage, desiring that you'd marry somebody that is a Christian." Uh, these are these are guardrails that God is putting in place. Uh, yeah. So Jesus, I just uh, I, I just ask that by Your power, by Your Holy Spirit, You would uh, make it really clear to each one of us what is it that we're facing at this point in our life. Uh, what are the desires that You've given us, and how do we control those desires, and how do we uh, Find fulfillment, and uh, how do we do life? How do we do relationships? Lord, how do we do this where we can put the guardrails down that you would have us put down? And Lord, I just thank you that you have given us joy and freedom, and Lord, an absolute dependency on you, and that you like it when we are dependent on you, and you seem to like it when we struggle and we need to be dependent on you, and we're reminded that it's not easy. And Lord, you seem to like that too. So Jesus, I just pray for you that you would empower your people by your Holy Spirit that we can live this life the way you'd intended to be with tremendous freedom and joy. In your name, Jesus. Amen.